it's one of the great things about being a main cheesemaker is you don't have to be rich, but it's also, <laughs> you know, you know, problematic that you, you know, start a business and you're like, oh, wait, I can't actually sell most of my products out of state. And now I can't even get them, you know, judged on a national scene until I buy the right equipment. So it kind of, it's a good thing to think about in terms of, you know, scale and like, you know, whether you're a big cheesemaker or small cheesemaker, you had a bunch of money or didn't, you know, all those yeah. things. And now yeah. there's this whole other thing of the food sovereignty movement, which makes no sense because you have people who are like, why do like we have the laxest rules in the whole country? And then they're like, let's make a laxer. And you're like, are you kidding me? Like <laughs> that is it, so it's it's very hard to unpack. And I don't even know what people outside of Maine think because it's like, I don't know what we look like. To you well, as well, cheesemakers, we're jealous. Actually, yeah. Yeah. for Pennsylvania, we have an organization here called PASA. Yeah, I'm familiar. And, with um, you know, like PASA members really would love to embrace that so that they could be able to make raw milk butters and right. you know, right. uh, manufactured raw milk products that are aged less than 60 days. Right. I know that organization could get behind it. Right. But so, all of but our... But not, not all states are quite like yeah, that. I mean, all of our... We can all have raw milk anywhere we want in the state. So it's just like, yeah. why erode the law even more when it's already like working for everybody? That's where it gets frustrating. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Collective Creamery podcast, where we're crafting the conversation on American artisan cheese. Today, we're bringing you an episode with Fuzzy Utter Creamery in Whitefield, Maine, up near Augusta. The owner and operator and farmer and cheesemaker, Jessie Dowling, is a powerhouse. We were really excited to sit down and talk with her. Um, she's milking a mixed herd of sheep and goats. She said she couldn't choose between between the two, so she kept both on her farm and is doing some some really neat things with mixed milk cheeses, winning some ACS awards, and as president of the board of the Maine Cheese Guild, has some interesting thoughts to share around Maine food sovereignty and some of the issues, challenges, and opportunities surrounding Maine cheesemakers. So thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy the interview. And please don't forget to fill out our survey, which you can find in our show notes. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks so much. All right. Welcome, everyone. We are sitting here with Jesse Dowling from Fuzzy Utter Creamery. We're here at the Cheesemakers Resource Conference in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. And um, we're really excited to have Jesse in front of us. You've won a couple of ACS awards. You milk a herd of 50 sheep and goats. You've got a mixed herd up in Whitefield, Maine, near Augusta. I was scanning your website. I love it so much. It's so honest, first of all, and just it's heartfelt and honest and it gives like a lot of information that is useful to somebody who's like looking for a local cheesemaker. And I thought it was cool how like right off the bat you stated your goal is to make a decent living as a farmer and still have time to give back to the community and enjoy life. So how's that going? Well, I'm still working on the on the having the time, yeah. uh, but I definitely <laughs> enjoy my life. 
Um, I, I, I like having a job where I would get up in the morning and the first thing I get to do is snuggle animals and then, you know, play with play with milk and make things I taste delicious all day. I have to say I love it. Cool. So when um, so when did you start? Can you give us a snapshot? Sure. Of the yeah. So. Um, OK, so I got excited about sustainable agriculture in college. There was a gorilla garden on the college campus that I was on and. I just kind of got hooked on the local food thing. Spent a year doing vegetable farming, realized that my knees couldn't really cut the like weeding for eight hours a day. And I started to look at other things. I, I ended up on this weird tangent of looking at, um, I worked for the Center for Food Safety fighting GMOs in DC. And then I ended up getting a master's in food policy in London. And I was just like, if I really want to make a difference in the food movement that I need to like be a farmer. And so I moved back to the U.S. and I ended up working for the Community Sur Food Security Coalition for a little while, did some like farm and food policy project with the, food, far, food, with the farm bill. But then I really was like, I need to really hunker down and really understand what it means to be a small farmer if I want to save them. You know, I needed to know uh, a lot of these people in D.C. I was working with. They were all inside the Beltway people that didn't really understand like anything about farming. And I was like, if I'm going to like fight GMOs and like fight industrial agriculture, I want to understand it. So I went to high school in Maine. So I knew about MOFCA, uh, Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association. And they had this great program, this apprenticeship program where you could look online and find a farm. So I looked online and I found I was looking at diversified farm. It was a new thing. I just read The Omnivore's Dilemma and was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be a vegetarian anymore. And so I was like, okay, let's uh, let's try this farm. Sounds diversified. Turned out it was there were two dairies, a sheep dairy in Union and Appleton Creamery in Appleton, Maine. So I fell in love with sheep and goats at the same time. So I was never been able to really choose. And I loved working at Appleton Creamery so much I stayed for five years. So I learned how to make cheese there and did it long enough that I decided I wanted to do it on my own. So that's kind of how I got my start. You've sort of been a solo operator from the beginning, although I know you do have a crew now that supports you. So how do you, how did you like attract people that can help you on the farm and how do you kind of divide the labor? Ideally, I love having people work with me that can do everything. I was an apprentice at Appleton Creamery at the beginning, so I know what it was like to be an unpaid worker or low paid worker. So I've always tried to, um, my first year I had some some kind of stipend folks, but I've always tried to have hourly paid labor instead of having apprentices just because I've always been in that position myself and really wanted to like not have the like overexploited young person. In the past, it's been pretty easy to find people um, just through word of mouth. That's usually the best way or I'll get emails from people being like, hey, are you looking for someone? And then those usually be the best people because they kind of found me. But yeah, I try to treat, teach people everything and try to get everyone to kind of switch around and do different things. But you find people who have different skills. Sometimes someone's better at the animal side than the cheese side. And then you kind of put them towards what they're good at. That's yeah. awesome. You, so when I was talking to you last night, you said you've been working with sheep for 13 years. You've been yeah, working with dairy yeah. sheep. That's amazing. Yeah, 2007 was when I was working at Elle's Farm Sheep Dairy and uh -huh. she was milking a herd of uh, 40 high percentage yeast Friesian. And when she went out of business, I bought, I handpicked six of her best ewes and then she gave me 10 of her favorite ones. So I ended up with a bunch of that and I bought a lot of her equipment, like her stanchion that can milk eight at a time and mm -hmm. some other of her, her stuff to get started. Are cool. you working on a rented farm or were you able to purchase a property in Maine? Yeah. So my first my first setup was in Unity and I built a seven by 17 cheese room there. And I was partnered up with another farmer who was a vegetable farmer who kind of like co-marketed. And then I got an opportunity to buy a farm for myself in Whitefield. So I moved to Whitefield in the end of 2013. So I spent my first two seasons in Unity. And then I bought an existing creamery that was like a little bit bigger. Um, it's like maybe 25 by 17 now. And so I moved there and you were I, able to go wild. Didn't yeah. You? <laughs> yeah. It felt a lot bigger. You know, I, instead of one 40 gallon vat, I had two 40 gallon vats and, um, and I bought it through the farm service agency. So no money down loan. I own it, but I have a mortgage. Right. Low interest loan. They're low, low interest loans, which is almost like free money. 
right? Yeah. It's great. I mean, you owe it, but you get to yep. own a farm. So, yep. and now I'm in this position where, okay, I've kind of grown out of that and I'm looking for the next farm. Right. I'm sorry. I didn't mean it that way. I just meant low interest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. No, great. No, I don't want anybody to infer anything different than that. <laughs> That's one of the benefits to working with FSA is that, yeah. you know, if you're a farmer, uh, you're able to secure some of these loans for maybe like four and a half percent. Yeah. And, and to have like no capital or real credit to speak of, which is really nice for someone who's got a low budget. Yeah. yeah, which we all do. Um, can you tell us about your animals? Um, yes, I would love to. Um, so uh, there's 28 <laughs> ewes. Um, they all have uh, like famous people names. So some of my favorites are Joan Jett and her daughter, Jem. And um, Roseanne Cash is my oldest lady. She's, she was born in 2008 on Ells Farm Sheep Dairy. And she's so she's like 11 years old and she's still doing well. Um, and then my best milker is Amanda Seyfried. Um, and she's got like the perfect udder. Like if any other sheep dairy were to look at her udder, they'd be like, oh, my God, she's I was, just great. I was scoping out those udder photos on your website. <laughs> and they're, yeah, the flock of fame. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, I okay. didn't start the flock of fame. That was a Perry Ells from Ells Farm. And then my goats have bird names. Um, my favorite bo- goat is um, Sandpiper. That's so nice. That's awesome. So I you like it. you have some pretty cool principles driving your animal husbandry. And we were talking about some of them last night. And like one of the things that you were talking about was just kind of like this very like holistic approach to animal care and managing parasites and things like that. Can you tell us a little bit about those practices? Sure. Um, well, I definitely don't have the land base to do exactly what I want to do, but I do. I love grass-based rotational grazing and on our replacement use in does and for the the kids and lambs that we raise up for meat, I do rotationally graze them on pasture. We unfortunately don't have enough pasture on our current location to pasture the the sheep and goat milkers rotationally, but it is a goal of ours. We do have some pasture that they're on, but they eat really high quality quality hay. Um, we feed everybody kelp every day and um, we use mineral mixes that we just make sure that they have access to as many minerals as we can give them, like baking soda and um, uh, salt and things like that. And then we do organic grain and some main grown oats. And in the winter, we mix in just oats and sunflower seeds just to kind of up what they're getting besides the hay. I love that, that you're using the kelp because for us, you know, it's a, it's a maybe, I don't know. I'm, we'll have to talk about pricing structures, <laughs> you know, cause they're so close to the, we're close to the ocean. ocean. So yeah, seaweed's really important to everyone in Maine, I think. And my ultimate goal would be to have the goats be able to eat fresh seaweed, but right now it's dried in a bag. I bet they love the saltiness of it. Too. Oh, the, the, yeah. They probably are just like, if you fed it free toast choice, you would spend a lot of money on it. <laughs> You know, I think, you know, the to me, the fact that the animals are the milking animals are just out on pasture, but they're getting this high quality feed. I, I mean, I personally, I think that's absolutely appropriate because they're out, they're getting exercise, they're getting all their nutrients cared for. And sometimes I'm like you, I don't have a lot of acreage on my farm and, you know, try to explain to somebody that you're not 100 percent grass based when you're limited by acreage. So, I mean, to me, it's important that they at least get to go outside and act as herd animals. And it sounds like those that your animals do. That's really great. Yeah. We try to give them a really low stress environment. I think keep making sure the animals don't get stressed out is a huge part of of having good, healthy milk. That's really great. All right. So let's talk a little bit about these award-winning cheeses that you make, these iconic cheeses, which are from three milks, right? So you're working with cow, goat, and sheep's milk. Yeah, we buy in 50% of our milk from an organic Jersey um, 
uh, herd yeah. that's close by. Well, our first award we got in 2015 was for our sheep milk yogurt, which is probably it's always when you when you fall in love with sheep. I think sheep milk yogurt is like a gateway drug to sheep obsession because it's you know it's really easy to make and you don't have to do anything to it and it's just like heaven in a spoon. You know, like that first sheep milk yogurt of the season. Yes. I just like have like a party and I'm just like everyone we're gonna eat sheep milk yogurt and we're just gonna love it. <laughs> so yeah, that to me, I I love that. I love it so much. Um, and then the second one we got in 2016, we got a third place for our Tempest, which I was amazed because it was in the international style category, which has like the most entries. And so I was like, how would you pick out a tome style cheese with a really simple recipe that would even make waves among like the Emmy Roths and stuff? So that was a surprise. That's cool. Um, that was exciting. Um, and then the, the Windswept is our sheep and goat blend. It's a kind of a hard Italian style, which um, we're kind of in trying to redo that recipe right now but it did get an award in 2017 uh that was des moines i think so 2015 that was providence yeah yeah and yeah. so how wonderful is that that you won an award when acs was in your region that was it'll never cool. get closer we to had, your home probably we, <laughs> I, something <laughs> i'm really happens. passionate about is the main cheese guild which i'm the yeah. president of right now and we had 10 cheesemakers won awards during that or we had 10 awards won by main cheesemakers during that providence i remember um, that and i personally delivered all of those entries um like the week before i just drove down and was like here you go like it was so that real, was exciting real champion for the small farmer mm -hmm. and the far yeah. small product small cheesemaker yes like we we have a place. Yep, and it was the last year uh, before they changed their their policy. Right. Oh. Okay. So let's dive into that. Right. Okay. Especially this is a really good segue. It's almost like we planned it. <laughs> to ask the question. Well, yeah. So the question is, you know, um, I talked to Jesse and I said, well, can we talk and explore this idea of food sovereignty in Maine? And can you walk us through the regulation? Okay, well, it's a little... Or lack of regulation. It's a little complicated. So, well, I should start with, in Maine, it's really easy to become a cheesemaker. Uh, we allow raw milk. You can buy it at the grocery store. You can buy it anywhere. There's no red tape around it. We just require, you know, everyone has a dairy license. You pay $25 a year. You get free testing, water tests. Inspector comes out, gives lots of te technical assistance, and it's very low uh, entry to be able to sell raw milk and to sell... Um, you know, aged raw milk cheeses and heat treated cheeses. We don't have to own pasteurizers, pasteurizer to um, sell cheeses. You just have to have a temperature gauge like a thermometer and a watch. And then you can say, OK, this was 145 for half an hour. I'm going to cool it down and I can sell all these these cheeses that would in every other state have to be pasteurized, we can sell them legally within Maine as heat treated. So we have a really low entry to become a cheesemaker license in Maine. So you know, we as cheesemakers feel like things are really good. There's a huge movement of kind of lay people that are maybe homesteaders or folks that are really interested in food sovereignty that have kind of passed some rules in Maine that have even gone a step further. Sort of co-opted this idea. Yeah, well, right. not even so much co-opted, but maybe not even understanding what we already have that's so wonderful and easy in Maine and saying, OK, let's just get rid of all the regulation. So there, there are certain towns that have passed these ordinances all throughout the state of Maine, uh, and they actually got it pass through the main legislature that these are allowed to happen where they can say, OK, this town of Whitefield, they're going up for a vote this this year, I think, which is my town saying, you know, we should be able to have the right to produce food um, and without a license and sell it to our community members, which in some ways you can see the good with that. You know, we want to be able to break down barriers for people to be able to produce food and sell it to their neighbors. That's great. But when you kind of have a product where you're making a living off of something like milk, which is really great home for bacteria to grow in, it's, it's a little bit complicated in terms of moving that beyond just was, your community. Was that a ballot question? 
during the election? Um, How did that, or it happens in a community? So, just yeah, so at in the, the community, town. it's like a town vote. Okay. And then the one that went through the legislature saying that these food sovereignty okay. acts can happen or food sovereignty ordinances can happen was passed through the state legislature. Le- okay. Mm-hmm. So is this kind of blurring the lines between being a commercial producer and being more of like a homestead producer? I think it depends on who you ask. Okay. Yeah. You can't go like most farmers markets in our state still require um, like when you apply to the market, we still ask to see a copy of your license and your insurance. So there's very few places where you're going to like be able to publicly sell your product if you're not licensed. Um, and most uh you know, establishments know to ask for that information. Mm-hmm. But I think that there definitely are people who maybe don't know, like on the customer side, they wouldn't know, they wouldn't know what to ask or, or how to differentiate. Right. Do you, so in terms of the, the repercussions or, of that as a commercial producer and somebody who's trying to sell your cheeses outside of the state, yeah, what are, what are the impacts of that on, on your operation? So far, there hasn't really been any impacts at all. You know, there's, I think that the people who are making a living from farming are, are getting licensed because it's not expensive to do so. I think the people that maybe let their licenses expire because they didn't feel like they needed one are really small scale. So I'm my hope is that it's going to be so small potatoes that, you know, people are milking a couple of goats. They're not getting licensed, but they're also like probably just selling to their friends and neighbors. That's my hope. You know, as the guild, the main cheese guild, we are trying to educate people about why getting licenses is important, how easy it is. We try to help people. You know, our inspectors will go to your farm and take a look at what you want to do, what your plans are for building before you build so you don't waste a bunch of money. And they can tell you how to cut corners and like do it on the cheap. Um, And then the guild is like really happy to meet with people and do the same. So we just try to make it really easy for folks to want to get licensed because it is so easy to do so. So... I was wondering, you you stood up at the town hall meeting at ACS. Was that in Bro- a couple of times? A couple of times. <laughs> and, you know, brought this kind of, I, I know you're representing your membership or cheesemakers in, in Maine and you do it so well. But I was like, okay, something's happening here today. Mm-hmm. You know, when you stood up and you said, we need to take some consideration for these small producers who mm-hmm. would like to enter these contests, you know, who are using best management practices and at this stage of the game, they're unable to enter their cheeses for competition right. at the ACS. Right. And that's and maybe even Big E. I don't know. Yeah. I haven't looked into the Big E. That's okay. a good thing to look at. But yeah, in the past, you know, before, you know, 2015 and before we could enter any of our cheeses that were licensed in Maine could be sold or could be entered into the competition. And that was great because we could get feedback on our products. Like, for example, my best cheeses are soft ripened, but I only heat treat them, which is 145 for 30 minutes. It's it's the same scientific process but because i didn't buy a pasteurizer i can't enter them in the competition because you don't have the recording thermometer yeah and that yeah and my yogurt is out like i don't have a capping machine i don't have anything that is going to look like what pmo wants to see and you know it's been a really big blow for some of the smaller cheese makers because you know i have hard cheeses i can enter so i feel like i can still participate but for you know half of our cheese makers in the state their their main products are yogurt and you know fresh chefs and fresh fresh cheeses soft ripened cheeses that they can no longer get the feedback on and even just getting the technical and aesthetic like judgment is is like so important so too. valuable it's so valuable yeah, i mean we always say that here in our state yeah we'll at least enter and get some feedback yeah you know it's worth it and actually the guild we pay for every cheesemaker in Maine who wants to go to send products to ACS, we pay for their first entry. 
we also pay for their shipping. Do you get checkoff money? We get subset? nothing. You get nothing we inside? Pay. All, was this all through membership dues yeah, that you so were able to do that? Yeah, so we pay monthly dues. Our producer members pay $50 a year. Enthusiasts pay 25 and we get sponsors from like places that sell cheese or have some type of cheese influence for 100 But we have this new cheese festival, which is bringing on a lot more money, which is very exciting. Uh, I know. We have a former cheesemaker from Pennsylvania and they've moved to Maine and they never miss it. Nice. Uh, Debbie Mikulak, Fred Bloom and Debbie Mikulak. And I'm always like, Look these people up. But I know it's like turned into this really yes. monumental event for you. So what a great fundraiser so that you can help the small cheesemaker yep. out. And we sent actually three cheesemakers on scholarship to this Cheesemakers Resources Conference uh, Any other state doing anything quite like that, providing three scholarships. This mighty yep. little state yep. up in and Maine. We, do a, we, we did usually about five to the ACS as well. So and you bring in also you bring in speakers yep. you get like really good training. Yeah, we did yeah. Yvonne Larcher uh, last year. We've done Peter Dixon a bazillion times. Margaret Morris. I'd love to bring Fonz because um, we just took that wash curd workshop with him this. Did this you guys week. have Kathy Biss up there? We've had Kathy, Kathy Biss. Yeah, yeah. We've tried to do awesome. anyone who we've heard of that will travel and come teach us a new way to make cheese. Uh, we'd love to just have more re- workshops because let's face it, Maine is kind of in a remote place and it's hard for us to leave. So if we can bring people to come teach us best practices, we've really been focusing on food safety lately. We've done a lot of workshops for our members on food safety plan writing, and we actually formed a little like working group study group with um, we've got advisors from University of Maine Orono who work um, with food safety along with like the buyer from Whole Foods and Mark Whitney from Pineland Farms are kind of all helping us kind of write our plan so that we can be in in a uh, in compliance with the FISMA. That's so great. even though we have small budgets we we believe that you know we can make really good cheese with best practices without having to spend a lot of money. Well you guys certainly inspired um I think Steph, you were I, hanging out with I all those. Envy. Yeah, I, I'm always all those nor'easter, nor'easter gals, <laughs> down always, east gals. That's what we're supposed to say, east. down east gals. But um, remember, you came back from Providence, and you're like, we need to start up yep. networking events because yeah. of your program of the cheesemakers getting together. How often? Like we, once. We a- have ten uh, meetings a year, and we meet at different. Year. Creamery. So we're like, oh, which creamery have we not seen yet? And then we do, we start the meeting with the tour um, and then we have our business meeting. Our next one's at Pineland next Monday. Cool. That's great. So if anybody's in a, has a guild in their state, I mean, this is something that I think is a really valuable practice to uh, adopt for your membership. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So how many cheesemakers are in Maine? Uh, I just counted. I think we we're, we're about 75 right now. What? Um, but I don't know. Because there's some seasonal ones, there might be some that haven't renewed for the year. That was based on a stat that I got from the state recently. But I think some of them come online later in the season because maybe they're not making cheese in the winter. But yeah, it's it's just, just under 80 uh, cheesemakers, um, which is exciting. How do you interpret, I mean, it feels so fateful that you have this master's in food policy and here you are as the president of the Maine Cheese Guild, a farmer making cheese, representing 70 plus people in your state. And we always like to talk about how cheese is at the intersection of so many food policy issues. How are you making sense of all this? I mean, did you just... It's it's wonderful and it feels like such a wonderful fit. Like, how are you interpreting that? I guess it's just what I, it's like my <laughs> life's work. This is what I've always wanted to do. I mean, yeah. when I when I was learning about the farm bill, I really wanted to do something about it. And you know, I feel like I was like, okay, I've spent these years becoming a farmer, and you know, I cheese just you know really called to me um, as you as just have the advocacy yeah. in your yeah in your blood I have a background of doing yeah. a lot of environmental and social activism, and so organizing people is kind of one of my skill sets. So I really enjoy it. Yeah. How about organizing sheep and goats? 
Yeah, that's a little harder <laughs> to say, especially the goats. Well, I don't know. Cheesemakers are kind of hard to herd sometimes. Oh, no, man. We have a, we have a, someone started a joke in Maine saying, uh, you know, where one cheesemaker goes, the rest will follow. So we, we definitely like to travel in packs in Maine. <laughs> that's great. So when do your first babies come this um, spring? February 22nd. So pretty, okay. pretty soon. We're expecting about 100 okay. sheep and goats. That's like next weekend. Um, yeah, we do we do public uh, sh- uh, sheep and lamb and kid snuggling events. So if you want to come <laughs> make the trip to Maine, we have some public events. Yeah, that sounds um, fun. As as in addition to the Mid Coast Cheese Trail, which yeah. has uh, like eight other farms that do snuggling events in our yeah. area. Anybody want to travel to Maine? There's some great resources right here. Do you um it, going back to cheese making? Do you have a sort of seasonal aspect to your production? Are you making certain styles early this spring when lambing and kidding is? T- place? Yeah, so um, we're going to be making a little bit of just cow's milk cheeses uh, in the spring just to kind of replenish our stocks, just some soft ripens. But in the, you know, in the beginning of the season with the sheep and goat milk, I've learned the hard way that the hard cheeses aren't my favorite um, from this time of year. So we're really going to just focus on all the fresh, um, you know, lactic uh, sheep and goat cheeses. Um, And we do a blend, kind of a chef blend, sheep and goat blend, which I really like. And then the sheep yogurt. And um, we'll do our our best selling cheese. It's called the Whirlwind. It's a it's a it's kind of a take on the Humboldt Fog. It's it's a sheep and goat blend, but it's a small format uh, ash layered cheese. Oh, um, I bet it has such great rich sheepy. It's very balanced because yeah. it's got the acid from the right. goat, but then the full fat flavor from the sheep. So I I just love that combination of flavors. Um, and then we do this washed rind cheese called the Cyclone which we do as cow's milk, but we also do a sheep and goat version. And it's really my favorite cheese because we wash it in different, you know, either in hard cider or different beers and we change it up and we do kind of little fun events with the breweries that we wash it in. And okay, I'm just wondering, Whirlwind, Cyclone, are these weather. cheeses your, well, <laughs> yeah. I was thinking her alter ego. Oh. <laughs> no, they're all climate, yeah, they're all climate change. Right. Um, I, you know, I spent a lot of time doing environmental kind of activism and climate change is something I think about a lot. So I think I, I picked like kind of like disaster weather themes as my name. That's fun. That's, That's fun. awesome. So is there, do you have a, Okay, you did say a favorite cheese to make. Do you have a um, a cheese that's kind of like more of the headache, helping you grow gray hairs, like tr- problematic, but yes. you love it anyway? Right. We've been talking about blue cheese a lot yeah. during yeah. this blue conference. Blue cheese and gray yeah. hairs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, I, I, I haven't delved into blue cheese, so I don't have to worry about that. Um, but the the windswept is definitely my bane right now. It's, it's like I've taken the, the recipe in this direction where I'm like, okay, that's not working. I need to like dial it back and kind of relearn how to make that. So, you know, in this wash curd workshop we just took, I'm learning a lot about, you know, how do you deal with a high fat milk? You know, maybe these long age cheeses I was attempting to make aren't what my milk wants to be. And so I really want to come back and kind of look at kind of how I'm making it to, to, you know, really give that milk what it wants. And that's, I'm excited to learn more about that. Isn't that such like an important lesson, like as cheesemakers to like find the wherewithal to see where we need to edit, you know, or step back or move forward or be bold or be cautious or just be like, hey, we need to do something different. And that's totally cool because that's this process of learning and getting accustomed to your milks and, you know, and then balancing what what you think you want too. Yeah, And you're just never done developing it. Never. No. I feel like it's a lifelong we'll, journey. Yeah, you feel like you're just going to spend your lifetime like honing this craft, which is so great it. because it's like nobody just wants to be a master because then what else is there to learn? It's it's <laughs> the best struggle in the world. I mean, what, mastering some 
<laughs> um, what what are you all taking away from this conference? I'm curious. I of course we all have pages of notes of like things we're gonna do immediately. What are you gonna do? Oh, <laughs> what are your changes? Oh man. Well, I'm excited. I've never been able to do a wash curd cheese um, that I've liked, um, and so taking that Fawn Schmidt workshop was really exciting because I, I feel like I have a recipe that I'm gonna go play with, and I'm excited to see. Um, you know, because we've been having some problems with the rub- rubberiness and the high fat. Um, sheet milk cheeses and so I'm excited to kind of see if I can get something that kind of benefits that milk better mm-hmm. so yeah cool what about you Sue what are you well, thinking about well so many things <laughs> yeah. um, but one of the things I really love about coming to this conference is the networking opportunities mm. it's like getting to you know hear about other other folks operations and what cheeses are making them and how they're inspired inspired and you know I kind of came thinking what cheeses do we want to get for our collective cream root cheese share? <laughs> Is there I, a chance we could ever get fuzzy utter cheeses into our share? Oh, definitely. Okay. That would be great. I All mean, right. that was my roundabout. <laughs> yeah. Where where can people find your cheeses? That's a good right. question. Right. So we sell all throughout Maine. Um, we have about 50 retail locations, ranch, uh, restaurants and co-ops all throughout the state. And then we do five farmers markets in the area. That's all on our website, um, fuzzyutter.com. Um, but we, you know, we're hoping that we'll get a pasteurizer in the next year and then hopefully you'll see some of our soft ripened cheeses out of state. Yeah. How, how far do you travel for some of your markets? Um, our farthest market is two hours away, so not too bad. Um, we're lucky that we live in kind of a, there's a lot of little towns. Do you have some market help to go to market? Yeah. 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 We, in the summer we have about five people on our, on our crew. Oh, good. I was just, were you just thinking five markets? A lot. Yeah, <laughs> it is a lot. And last year we've, there's a labor shortage in Maine. We've really been struggling to find enough labor last year. We had to drop a few of our markets in the summertime because we just didn't have enough people to go to them. Yeah. That's tough. I know we think about that often when we're doing markets, Stephanie and I just like managing time, prepping, packing, just all of it getting yeah. there and then it rains and it, yeah. this year it rained every weekend it seemed like i don't know about for you but so oh and yeah this and you're that can be so frustrating and or it'll be like every friday it rains and you're like but how this you know why at this one market you can't get a nice day but we're definitely interested in increasing our wholesale just just so that you know the, i think the farmers markets are so important to have that you have that time to talk to the customer and build awareness people can learn and taste your products mm-hmm. um, but to be able to um, increase yeah. the wholesale is going to be good stability for us. How far is Portland from you? We're an hour from Portland. An hour. So, of course, I mean, anybody who's into food just really hears about this explosion of food culture oh, yeah. in Portland and the beer and spirits. And I was just wondering, does a lot of your cheese find it into some of these, like, restaurants that are getting mentioned in Bon Appetit and whatnot onto cheese plates there? Yep. Is that, like kind of your bedrock of restaurant We definitely have a or? couple really good restaurant customers. 4th Street, the Press Hotel, Union yeah. Union Press Hotel, yeah. and um, the Hunt and Alpine Club, which is a smaller uh, restaurant, but they've been really good about... Really loyal. or Yeah, ordering every week a pretty large amount for their cheese plate. And I've, I've seen an increase in um, restaurants. There's 400 restaurants in Portland. Um, there's an increase in them. 400. Yeah, in this tiny little town. Uh, and, and there's an increase in interest in having cheese plates on the menu. So we're excited about that. I know I've been thinking a lot about some of these restaurant partners that I have. And, you know, oftentimes you start out with a restaurant owner and then they open another restaurant and then they mm-hmm. open another. And next thing you know, you have three customers from one restaurant tour. And I kind of just 
want to always remind myself to share them a little love because from a small farmer's standpoint, when you have those restaurants, like it may be like one wheel a week or every other week or two wheels a week, but over the course of a year, it really makes an impact on a small business. Yeah, really does. And one new thing that uh, happened to us uh, two weeks ago is we were asked by the by by un- the union restaurant at the Press Hotel to come and give a talk to their staff about our farming practices. They said that they're rebranding their their um, restaurant to be an all local farm to table restaurant. And part of that rebranding process, they were having all their farmer producers come and talk to their staff. And so we got to come in, uh, Olivia, who you know, works with me, yeah. and I came in and we just you know did a cheese tasting with them and told them about our farm practices. And even the concierge at the, at the hotel was there asking us questions about what, you know, how we treat our animals and, you know, all the different questions. And that to me was like, this is what I want to be doing. So they were really walking the walk. They weren't just talking to talk. They were so interested. And then we sat by the bar and hung out with the, the, you know, the bartenders and just, you know, just chatted with them about everything. And it was just great. Yeah. Uh, Another thing that has been on my mind a lot lately is kind of these larger companies sort of coming out with products that look like small artisanal products. I have one in mind. I'm not going to mention it because if I do. Could we mention it? No, we won't. We won't. <laughs> I don't know. There's an, um, there's an umbrella involved. <laughs> we could hit On the, la- on the lo- label. Um, but I really think it's our job to take back the conversation about farmstead artisanal cheese. Yep. You know, or small, small production yeah. cheese. And really refocus and what it really means and not let these big guys sort of commodify what we do. Because what it'll do yeah. is it'll destroy kind of the pricing structure for oh, yeah. all of us. Oh, and yeah. we can't sell what they can sell for. No. Yeah. And they have more marketing dollars. So right. they're better at calling themselves small even when they're not or calling themselves artisanal totally. even when they're not. And it's such a threat to the people who really are trying to maintain a small handmade scale, right. which is the reason why you stand up at ACS town halls and, you know, raise these issues. I think a lot of small producers go to ACS and I can admit to this myself. Sometimes it is a little intimidating or it right. is a little discouraging yeah. to realize that you're never going to be this right. huge yeah. scale and have all this infrastructure. Where is to there a place you. for us? Right, right, exactly. And here's another thing. And then you take the time out of your schedule to meet with the restaurant and meet with the staff. That is invaluable. You'll They'll be connected to you yep. for their lifetime. They'll never forget it. I know Steph and I have been talking about starting this like Monger Monday series. Oh, I love it. Where we, you know, invite mongers or staff from some restaurant or yeah, whatever teams. to come out mm-hmm. and like we're going to guide a tasting, have a conversation, see the production facility. And what we really want to know is who else wants to join us in this. I mean, basically, you're in, Jesse. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you it's great. You could start a main Monger yeah. Monday series. Yeah, we've been really trying to reach out to mongers more just to educate them because I think it's all about, you know, our, our biggest advantage as small producers is our story, you know, who we are and why we do what we do. And, and kind of you know, if we can get people to the farm, if we can if we can tell that story and take take that sto- story on the road, I think is so important to um, to going up against the big guys, because that's that's our advantage. Yeah. And my intention isn't to say that mongers aren't aware of this, but it's like right. one of the things we could do is like we want you to know more about us. Or if you're in a restaurant, the restaurant staff generally isn't as educated as mongers are. Mm -hmm. So if we can share what we do and really build our community and, um, you know, but I think if we're just all doing it, if we're just doing it and not talking about it with everybody else, then I think we're missing an opportunity. It's it's building relationships. 
relationship marketing is huge yeah. for us. That's what we count on, right? Mm-hmm. Small producers. All right. Sorry about that. No, that's good. <laughs> it's just we've been, been we've on been our wanting, mind. Yeah. Well, we have been wanting to talk about that for Anybody a while. else out there who wants to join us, send us a message. Yeah. We'll be like, we'll, I think we should all share ideas about how to share our message. Yeah. I mean, look at this. 72 small farm cheesemakers just in Maine. Yeah. And think about the power s- of that 60 voice. some odd of them are Farmstead. Oh. Yeah, we've, we... We're really committed to farmstead-based, you know, small-scale cheese making. I mean, we have only two producers that are large, and they're not even that large. Um, so it's it's pretty amazing um, how strong that what community is. All right, we ask everybody this: What keeps you up at night? Uh, money. <laughs> we oh, can just relate. Lack, lack of it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, cash flow is always yeah. the hardest thing, yeah. especially this time of year. I can only imagine, like, you're carrying things through the winter. Yeah, yeah. it's like you can't wait to get back to the vat. Yep. Your customers are probably hungry for your product. Yep, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> how do you how do you support your small scale? Like, do you do any agritourism? Or, yeah, well, yeah. that's something we're really excited about doing more of. Uh, we started uh, being part of the Midcoast te- Cheese Trail um, a couple of years ago. And so we have a little, like, rack card that, you know, we put out at farmer's markets and around at, you know, tourism places. And it links to a website and a map. And uh, there's a list of all the participating farms. I think we have about eight or nine different farms. And the rule for this particular cheese trail is that you have to have animals because there has to be something for people to come see. Um, And so we do events on the same day. So, you know, one of our kid hugging days, we do in coordination with a bunch of other farms. um, And then we do different events throughout the summer uh, with the Midcoast Cheese Trail. And that really helps people come to the farm. And um, I really enjoy uh, kind of having that aspect. People start coming to the farm, repeat customers come say, oh, I come to all of your events because I just love it here. And that feels really good give them some kind of connection you know yeah, yeah. yeah. i mean we literally so let them good. go in in the pen and snuggle the goats and, and the lambs and sheep and it's just wonderful well i do have to tell you uh, we have cows and when it gets to be kidding season and lambing season i basically don't even need to post i don't put anything on instagram because why bother why bother <laughs> oh, come on calves are cute too oh seriously they they are cute but the goats <laughs> and the lambs they kill me Yep, it it's fun. true. I think we should link to that trail on the show notes. Yeah, absolutely, we will. So if you're ever passing through Maine, you should check out the, the Midcoast Cheese Trail. Okay, cool. And yeah, I mean, we were talking to like Molly from George's Mill last night. You know, she's milking 45 goats this spring. She does, you know, like ticketed bottle feeding to like support her, you know, spring production, which is like awesome. That's such a nice idea. She sell, she sells out. It's crazy. Ticketed bottle feed. Yeah, yep. like ten dollars so a pop. In. Yeah, you can just come in and like Would you kids that, can Jessie? milk the milk the kids. Um, we definitely put out a donation uh, jar at the yeah. snuggling events because yeah, yeah. we realized that like in this we don't have as many cheeses in this time of year. So we're like, well, if we can't make the money on selling the cheese, like let's encourage donations. I don't want to turn people away, but um, definitely um, encourage a donation. To feed a baby. It's magic, right? Oh my gosh, <laughs> it is kind of. Can we take a trip down? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. What What do you feel comes naturally to you as a as a cheesemaker? Uh, something that came naturally that, that I didn't know before I started was that I actually really like managing people. A lot of people who become small cheesemakers, they they're just a one person show, and then as they get bigger, they're like, "Oh God, I need people to help me." And I realized that I I super enjoy, um, you know, 
managing a crew. I, I, I feel like I kind of know how to keep the morale up and, and how to be a good boss. And it, it's funny because my mom was a boss. So I wonder if like, you know, we didn't have a musical family. I didn't get to like be a musician because my parents were musicians. But like the one thing is like my mom was a boss and I make a good boss. So that's something <laughs> I kind of like, which is weird because most people don't like that, but I totally like it. You know what? That is so interesting you say that because we just interviewed Rin Caputo from Caputo Brothers Creamery. They make fresh mozzarella. And she said that she always wanted to wear a suit. As a kid, she, <laughs> she played boss. Like she was she would an wear astronaut her or a teacher. Yeah. Her mom was a boss. Yeah. So, you know, we never know how we're influenced, right? Yeah. 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 yeah that's really great. That's awesome. I do love you, it. So do you feel that, okay, so to what extent do you feel that you could do what you're doing outside of Maine? Or do you feel that so much of it is attributed to the support that you get from your Oh, state? yeah. I mean, first of all, I would have to have a lot more money if I was going to get a licensed creamery outside of Maine. <laughs> um, you, you, you can get licensed on a real shoestring in Maine and, yeah. and the barriers to getting into the field outside of Maine would be prohibitive for mm-hmm. me. Um, also, Maine is such a place that is, is land-based. You know, we have the ocean and we have so many regional things that we feel identified by that I feel like I wouldn't be able to enjoy my life if I wasn't connected to the land there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes yeah. sense. Do you have many potato growers in your region uh no that's in the north that's, that's in aristic county okay. we have a lot of blueberries maple syrup um lobster i mean our the main food scene is just so rich like our goal is the main cheese guild is to get people to think when they think of main foods you know on that list of lobster maple syrup and blueberries they're gonna think main cheeses right you know right. um yeah. you know we st- we struggle in vermont shadow um and we're hoping that <laughs> we can kind of like come out and right. you yeah. know really we're really trying to push the mold on how we can show ourselves off as as a cheese date. Well, I feel like with 72 licensed permitted cheesemakers, you may have more than Vermont has. We do. We have pl- plenty more. The only state that has more um, cheesemakers than us is New York, because um, I look at these stats. Um, and we have definitely the more che- most cheesemakers per capita of anywhere. Per capita, that's really mm-hmm. Okay, I doubt that we have Reverse any state legislators listening to this podcast, but um, that is quite a, quite an appealing sort of, I guess, you know, call to action for cheesemakers and and cheese guilds to really, I think, you know, try to try to lobby for that state support in any Mm -hmm. way that you can. Maybe it's not regulatory. Maybe it's economical. Um, I know we just had a grant program in Pennsylvania to try to help, like, just inject the industry with some some capital. But I mean, think about the economic impact of 72 farms now adding value to that land through cheese. Right. That's uh, we're in the process of doing some grant writing for the guild to Uh uh, hire an executive director. And one of the things we want to start doing is a survey. So we know like how many pounds of cheese are we producing? How much money is our economy, is the cheese economy producing? Mm Because I want to be able to tell people, you know, how much money we're making for the state and how many people we're hiring. Right. Have you talked to Carlos Yusekas from Old Ways? Briefly, yeah. Talk with him about that program. I will. Because they they may be able to assist you with cool. some of that. Very cool. Some of that survey. You know, I want to say, uh, just during this conversation uh, to regulators, I'm thinking, here's a state that has really become relaxed with the regulation. But the cheesemakers have put it upon themselves mm-hmm. to self-regulate in yeah. a way right. that, hey, you guys are focusing on food safety. Right. You're Everyone's talking to each right. other 10 times a year through this networking. Right. You have a comprehensive education plan. 
it's not like a top-down approach no, at all. No, but the state also does give us a lot of resources for testing. They test our milk and our products every six weeks, and we um, have a less than 10 coliform um, rule that's always been in place mm-hmm. um, right. for, for our license. So, you know, we, we are um, following a pretty good standard. And I, I think that really is great to know. It is great to know. I think it really it speaks to this, like, sort of producer-driven food safety model where it's like, well— the results, you know, the test results, like if you provide people with means for testing their product mm-hmm. and testing their milk in this affordable way, which not all states have that support. We certainly don't. We all pay for our own testing in Pennsylvania. But I think just providing that kind of support is a really nice way mm-hmm. to ensure the food safety of the industry. Right. As opposed to trying to create rule, like more rules that might be prohibitive for people and might still not yield the same results. You know, if you know what the goal is as a producer, you're going to get there. Right. As opposed to just having fewer goals, but more upfront guidelines. It just seems to be kind of like a backwards approach. And I, I think being kind of an independent minded, fierce bunch that we are, we're, you know, we're all pretty strong headed. We're all going to get there on our own because that's what we want to do. We want to make great cheese that's also safe right and or we wouldn't be in business and you know milk quality is essential to good cheese making and so yeah. you know we we do a lot of milk quality workshops in maine about just how you know how, how to take care of milk how to how to milk cleanly mm-hmm. and you know the key to having the best tasting cheese that's going to win these big competitions is to have a good food safety plan in place and so you know you're you're not going to be able to compete and make good cheese if if you're not paying attention to those things so mm-hmm. it, i think that letting it be producer driven makes a lot of sense yeah that's awesome that was a great message yeah okay well what else do you have any other questions well i'm thinking maybe we need to pull out our calendars and plan our trip to maine (laughs) (laughs) well because you know i love a road trip yeah i think we should go in the summertime you could come to our uh, our cheese festival which is september 8th in pittsfield september 8th let's mark it down what, how Two many festival. years have you had this festival? Um, well, the, the guild formed in 2003 or four, okay. and there was a few that, like, early off when there was only 16 cheesemakers in the state. Yeah, we've grown a lot really fast. Um, but starting uh, about, this will be our fourth um, uh, festival in a row um, where they've been getting bigger and bigger. Um, we've having to find larger locations uh, to take the, the droves of people that want to come and taste Maine cheese. Oh, oh my gosh. I remember having a conversation with Elsie Goller like after that first mm-hmm. one and mm-hmm. you guys were just couldn't believe so many people you were expecting like a couple hundred or yeah and we got to over 2000 yeah it was like 500 (laughs) you're prepared for and i mean so people want cheese this they do and there is something about the the mainers having this loyalty to look you know local food local producers right i mean that's such a big part of the culture oh yeah we're yeah we're really lucky that the local food scene is as advanced as it is in maine i mean people people want to eat food from where they're from yeah yeah as they should as they should well, Jesse, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And um, good luck with the kidding and lambing season. Thank you. We're going to follow along. Thank you. It's a pleasure talking to you guys. Collective Creamery is Stephanie Angstadt, Sue Miller, and Alex Jones. Jordan Heil produced the podcast, and Mike Lorenz wrote our music. You can hear him on Thursday nights at the Tired Hands Brew Cafe in Ardmore, Pennsylvania. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can learn more and subscribe to our cheese subscription at collectivecreamery.com.